Welcome to the teaching ministry of Christ Church of the Valley, featuring lead pastor Kevin Carlson. Today, we invite you to open your heart and your mind to what God is saying to you through His Word. We're glad you decided to listen in with us. Here now is Pastor Kevin. I was talking to my dad the other day. He called me uh, on lunchtime. He had just had a meeting with his pastor in Arizona, and they were discussing this passage in Ezekiel chapter 1. And there's this vision that Ezekiel has, and in this vision he sees all sorts of really weird things, these creatures with weird faces and this kind of stuff. And, And Ezekiel talks about seeing these wheels within wheels. And Dad wanted my opinion on whether the wheels within wheels were describing a chariot or a gyroscope. And so we're getting deep into the weeds of the Schofield reference Bible and the Hebrew and this kind of stuff, trying to decide, you know, whether which interpretation of this was was right and, and the correct one there. And that's the kind of conversation I have with my dad all the time. He loves that kind of really obscure kind of Bible reference. Now, if, if you were able to follow that discussion uh, or not, uh, a lot of times what we think is uh, spiritual depth is that kind of stuff. If, if you're you know, deep in the weeds of Ezekiel 1 and you're part of that debate about gyroscopes versus, versus chariots, then you're spiritually deep and if that sort of goes, whoosh, then you got some room to grow, right? It's sort of the idea. Uh, this is sort of a timely idea. Just last Monday, we have this leadership class we've been doing. And uh, in the class, we got into a discussion about what does it mean to be spiritually deep, uh, spiritually mature? How do you know when someone's spiritually mature? And, and what do you do as a church to produce spiritual maturity and, and spiritual depth? Now, you might be asking, all right, I thought we were talking about building houses in Mexico today. What's this bit about spiritual depth here? Well, today I want to show you how giving up a few days of your summer uh, can help you grow to spiritual maturity probably more than anything else you do this year. And to follow the connection, I want us to look at a passage in the Bible in James chapter 1. So open your Bibles up to James chapter 1. If you have a smartphone, you can use version, the Bible app. Uh, that's what I use for all my Bible reading and scripture is in there. It's absolutely free. Uh, also on there, uh, you can log into our events page. And make sure you pick the one for today. And it'll give you all the, the uh, slides we have up here, the scriptures, this kind of stuff. As well as a link to our reading plan. We have a daily reading plan that we do that goes along with each series. Because so, we're doing a one-off kind of message today. I have a seven-day reading plan. So if you've wanted to read the Bible every day but been discouraged by it, thinking, I don't know if I have the discipline to do it and to commit to that... Why don't you try this week? Just do it for seven days. It's just one week long. Uh, hit the link on that events thing. It'll take you to our Bible reading plan. It's just a short little reading. It'll take you a minute, maybe, two minutes, every day. And see if that doesn't make a difference in your life if you spend a little bit of time every day reading God's Word. Uh, James chapter 1, starting with verse 20, says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So we see right off in this passage that God wants something. He wants righteousness. And so he's already painting a picture of spiritual depth, what God wants for us to to look mature. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, 
then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's sort of walk through this passage here to find out what God wants, uh, to find out what God wants me to look like and to act like if I'm spiritually mature. Well, the first thing we saw right off the bat was that God wants righteousness, righteousness, to live the right way. The righteousness God desires, it talks about in verse 20. The word righteous gets sort of a bad rap in our culture because in our culture, it is almost always preceded by the word self. So when you talk about righteous, it's usually because someone is self-righteous, full of themselves and proud, and they think they're better than you. But we don't talk about the positive aspect of being righteous or righteousness. The simplest definition of, of righteousness is living the right way, the right way to live what we call the better life around here. That God's got this better way of living, and and, and it's it's known as as righteousness. Now, this idea that in God's eyes there's a right way to live, a better way to live, sort of stands in direct contrast with what the world thinks and teaches, that there is no right way to live. That any way is good as long as it's good for you. I saw this great video uh, last week. There was this little short white guy Uh, doing interviews on a college campus where they're doing this uh, crusade about identity and bathrooms and all that kind of stuff. And so he walks up to random students and he says, "Uh, what would you say if I said I identified as a woman? He said, that's great. You know, whatever works for you. If you want to be a woman, great. He said, what what if I identify as a Chinese woman? Would that be, you know, is that okay? Can I be a Chinese woman? Sure. If you want to be Chinese, if you want to identify as Chinese, you just go right ahead and you're a Chinese woman. What if I'm a six foot four inch Chinese woman? That's my identity here. And he's like a five foot four inch white guy. What if I'm a six foot four uh, Chinese woman? Is, is, is that a, a good identity for me? Hey, whatever floats your boat. And you tell the students the, the more absurd it got, the more uncomfortable they were feeling. Like, well, you're obviously not a six foot four inch Chinese woman. That's sort of absurd. And yet, I I can't make a judgment on anything because it's all good. And if you want to be whatever you want to be, that's fine with me. So they ended up sort of flailing because they had really no sense of of one thing is better than another. One thing is right or one thing is wrong. There is no right. You just be whatever you want to be. Identify whatever you want to identify with. Well, if there's no right way to live, that also means there's no wrong way to live, right? And anything is right. Anything is wrong. It doesn't matter. Whatever works for you is, is what counts. Proverbs 14, 12, in God's word, stands really in stark contrast to this idea that there is no right or wrong. It says, there is a path before each person that seems right. I'm a six foot four inch Chinese woman. Why not? But it ends in death, the Bible says. God says all paths are not equal. All all things are not right. There's actually a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live. And when you embrace the wrong way to live, it ends in destruction and death. It's not a better life. It might look like a better way in the world's eyes, but it ends up destroying you. In reverse, then, that means there's a better way to live, a good way to live that leads to life and health and hope. So spiritual maturity starts by understanding that there is a difference between right and wrong. Yes, what your grandma told you is true. There is a difference between right and wrong, and if I want to be a mature person spiritually, i got to learn what that is, learn the difference between right and wrong. Secondly, this passage tells us that studying the Bible, studying what the Bible says, won't produce righteousness. 
Now, that might seem like a radical statement coming from a guy with a degree in Bible, right? That studying the Bible won't make you righteous. But that's what James says here. He says, don't just listen to God's word. If you do, you're only fooling yourself. You're only fooling yourself if you equate the more of God's word I can hear, the more righteous that makes me. Now, that's not what James says here. He says those two necessarily don't go together. The key word here is just. It doesn't mean that reading the Bible is useless. Otherwise, why am I pushing a daily Bible plan on you every time I'm up here? Why do I want you in the Bible every day for yourself? Because Bible reading is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end. It starts with understanding God's word, but that's not where it stops. Don't just listen to God's word. If you just listen to God's word, then you're deceiving yourself. You've got to do more than that, than just listen, though it does start with listening. I went to Israel in the 80s. Uh, it was a great trip. Got to see all the sights, this kind of stuff. One of my favorite things to do was to visit the Dead Sea. It's the lowest point on earth. It's 1,200 feet below sea level. Uh, it's just a barren desert, just rocks and sand. Uh, makes Arizona look lush. And uh, what's fun about the Dead Sea is because it's super salty, it's even saltier than the Salt Lake in, in, in Utah or saltier than the ocean, it's really buoyant. So you go out in there and you're bobbing around like, you know, waist high, like you're standing there because it holds you up so much. And I asked the Turia, why is this so salty here? Why is this water so salty where you get the Sea of Galilee just a few miles to the north and it's beautiful and fresh and there are fish in there and, and this is green and lush. What's the difference between the two? They're connected by the same river. He says, well, the Sea of Galilee, water flows in from the north and then flows out to the south. But in the Dead Sea, the water only flows in and nothing comes out. Because it's the lowest spot on earth, the water just flows in, pools up, and then it just evaporates. And as it evaporates, it leaves all the salts and minerals behind until the water is so salty it kills all life. Well, the same thing that makes the Dead Sea dead can make you spiritually dead. When all we ever do is take in, take in, take in God's word, but we never do anything with it, there's nothing that comes out of that study, it makes us dead spiritually. And worse, we fool ourselves because we think all this time I'm spending taking in is making me mature. I, I stop with that. I trick myself into thinking that's maturity. When the Bible says, well, no, I, to be mature, I need to get God's word in, but it's got to produce something. There's got to be something flowing out of me as well. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 about the usefulness of God's word. It says, all scripture, the whole Bible, it's inspired by God. That means it's breathed by God. It's like dictated by God. And it's useful. It's useful. It's not just theoretically interesting. Like, you know, is, did Ezekiel see a gyroscope? That's sort of theoretically interesting, but does it really matter in your everyday life? So the Bible is useful to teach us what is true. There is truth, and the Bible's going to teach it to you. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. There are some things in my life that are wrong. And God's Word's going to reveal those things and, and let me see what those are. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us, here he is, to do what is right. Not to know what is right. That's when you fool yourself. I know what is right, therefore I'm spiritually mature. No. Knowing is half the equation. The other half, though, is actually doing it. And when I do it, then I become mature. If all I do is know it, I never become mature. Don't fool yourself into thinking that spiritual growth and death is all about simply what you know. That can either sort of puff you up because you're good at that kind of thing, or it can discourage you because you're not. 
you're not one of those people that does really well in school and really enjoys studying, you think, I just can never be a mature Christian because mature Christians are sort of like my dad, you know, the rabbinical kind of guy that likes to, you know, argue about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin and that, I'm just not into that. That kind of study is just not appealing to me. I'm not good at it. Therefore, I can never be a mature Christian. Nothing can be further from the truth. Most people know more Bible than they're already doing. Jesus said the two most important verses in the Bible is love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. There's the whole Bible right there summed up. Not very hard to know, is it? The hard part is the doing. Actually loving God and actually loving other people. I don't have to be super educated in scripture to be mature if I learn how to love God and love other people, according to Jesus. That's what gives me spiritual maturity when I actually do what the Bible says, which is our next point. Doing what the Bible says produces righteousness. It says, don't just read, listen to the word and so uh, deceive yourselves. You must do what it says. Later on, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Complete this sentence. Actions speak. Exactly. You know, what I do is going to tell more about who I am than what I say. We're so used to politicians and preachers and other people in authority that will walk, they'll, they'll talk a good game, but they don't walk a good game. You know, the environmentalist that complains about your carbon footprint while jetting around the world on a private jet. We're just used to that. We expect that the politician that, that blasts millionaires and billionaires while raking in millions and billions of dollars themselves. I mean, we're just used to that. We expect that. We expect hypocrisy from our leaders, that they say one thing but do something else. But, but James here says it's, it's different. Real maturity, spiritual maturity comes from tying what you believe with what you do. Let's actually walk the talk. Let's do what it says, and then I become spiritually mature. You know, Jesus, at the end of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, he wraps it up with a simple little analogy. He says, if you listen to what I say, and you actually put it into practice, you do it, you're like someone who builds a house on rocks. And wind can come, and rain can come, and that thing is just stands there secure. But if you listen to what I say, and you don't do it, you just listen to it, yay, Jesus, I love, what a great preacher you are. Man, you're right on, 100%. But you don't actually put it into practice. He says, you're like someone who's building a house on sand. Wind and rain come and it just collapses. It's, it's useless. It doesn't stand up because you didn't actually put it into practice. So Jesus said, if you want to take away one thing from the Sermon on the Mount, it's don't just listen to me. Do what I actually tell you to do. And in this passage here, James gives us several things that he wants us to do in order to apply God's word to our daily lives. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Like, this is everything that God would ever want. But this is what James brings up here in James chapter 1. And just ask yourself, as you're, as you're looking at these things that James wants us to do with God's words, ask yourself, am I doing these things? Pretty well? Not very well? Okay, need improvement? How would you rate yourself? So our takeaway for today is what should I do? What does James want me to do? First of all, he wants us to live differently. Live differently. He says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. And at the end, refuse to let the world corrupt you. I grew up, I've gone to church my whole life. I'm one of those kids that when I was a baby, I was in the nursery, you know. Uh, I've been going to church my whole life. And I remember as a kid, uh, going to church was a very different cultural experience than anything else you do uh, in society. 
we had clothes that we only wore at church. We called them our church clothes. And so we'd wear different clothes on Sunday than we would on Monday. And we'd go to a building that looked different than any other building in town. It had a steeple and a pitched roof. Arizona, most of the roofs are flat. You don't have any snow to worry about. But here you had a pitched roof with a steeple on it. You go inside, the windows even were different. Rather than just regular windows, they were stained glass windows. It's the only building in town that had stained glass windows. The furniture was different. You didn't have couches or lazy boys. You had these benches that you would sit on. Usually pretty hard, uncomfortable benches to keep you awake during the sermon that you would sit on. And the music we would listen to and participate in was unlike any music you would hear on the radio or at a movie or on a TV show. We were very different culturally from the world. We looked really different on the outside. But the question is, were we very different on the inside? The research is rather depressing. When you study what Christians do rather than what they believe, you find there's not a lot of difference between people who go to church and people who don't. They, they view pornography at the same rate. They get divorced at the same rate. They have abortions at the same rate. You name it, uh, they give the charity at the same rate, this kind of stuff. There's just not a lot of difference because we fooled ourselves into thinking being a Christian is all about this instead of about this and this, what I do in life. You know what God really wants is instead of us being really different on the outside and, and and the same as the world on the inside, is we can be the same as the world on the outside. We can wear clothes like everybody else does, as long as they're not immodest, and you know, meet in buildings like everybody else does. That doesn't define us as Christians. It's what we do and what goes in our hearts that defines us as Christians. So we want to live differently, not, not on the outside. We don't have to be weird to be a Christian, but on the inside. We can look like a normal person, but we want to be different on the inside because we live a godly life instead of a worldly life. So live differently. Are you living any different? than your friends and neighbors. If being a Christian were a crime, would there be enough evidence from your life to convict you? Or would you get off scot-free? Can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Not really sure, looking at this one, whether they really are a Christian or not. Live differently. Secondly, accept humbly. He mentions humility here. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. What does humility have to do with spiritual growth? Well, to accept God's word means to first acknowledge that God knows better than I do how to live the better life. I've got one way of thinking how to live the life. The world's got one way of thinking how to live the life. And I'm going to be humble and say, you know what? I don't know better than you, God. You know better than me. And so I'm not going to live the world's way. I'm going to live God's way, your way, because you know better than I do. That's one of the tough things about parenting. Those of you that are parents, you know how that is. Is, is, you know, your kids are little geniuses, aren't they? They're born little Einsteins. They know better than you about just about everything. Where there's something really simple, like don't touch that hot thing, it will end badly. Or don't date that boy, it will end badly. You know, they just, they gotta find out for themselves that maybe mom and dad know a little bit of something about life. And of course, the reason we do know something about life is because we've been there, done that. We touched the hot stove. We dated the bad boy. We, we did all those things. It ended badly, and we don't want our kids to have to do the same thing. But you got to learn humility. It's, it's humbling to say, you know better than me. Tell me what to do. And usually pride gets in the way. That's why the Bible says that God helps humble people, but he opposes proud people. Because proud people can't learn. They say, God, I, I know better than you how to live my life. I don't need your advice in this area. I know you say to do A, but I'm going to do B because, God, I really know better than you. That's an issue of pride. You're saying you're smarter than God, you're wiser than God, and you know better than God does how to live your life. What James says is, I'm looking for humble people 
who accept God's word and say, what, God, you know better than me. And in this area that seems so counterintuitive, man, it just, why would you say do this when the world says that? And this seems reasonable. Why would you say do this? But you know what? I'm just going to be humble and say, I, maybe you know better than me. Even if I don't understand it right now, why I should do A instead of B, the world says B, you say A. I'm going to go with A just because I think maybe you know better than me. I'm going to trust you that in the end, it's going to work out better for me if I follow your words rather than the world's words. We all struggle sometimes to know what the right thing to do is. That's why Timothy says God's word is useful to help us know what to do. Next thing is to talk carefully, to talk carefully. Man, he gets right down to the nitty gritty here, doesn't he? If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. As I mentioned, I grew up going to church. My whole family grew up going to church. And one day, the, the uh, girls in the family, we had some sort of family reunion or something, so all the adult women were playing this game. And it's, uh, you ever played taboo before? You know, taboo, how it works is there's a word you're trying to get your team to say. But there's like the five most common words that you would say in describing the secret word are all taboo. You can't use any of them. And so if the word is baseball, I'm trying to get you to say, I couldn't say sport or pitcher or batter or outfielder. You know, all the key words that you would use are taboo. And so you have to sort of go around the subject to try to get them to say the secret word here. And so um, sometimes, you know, the person can really come up with something, you get it immediately. And sometimes you really struggle, especially when it's like an esoteric kind of word. You know, how about righteousness? You know, it's like, how am I going to get someone to say that? So we're playing this game, it's boys against girls, all right? And the girls really need this point here because the boys are winning. So one of my uh, stepsisters, she draws the card, looks at it for a minute, and the other team gets to see it, right? And I'm going, there is no way on God's green earth they're going to get this one. This one is really hard to get, and the words are all killer here. And she looks at it for a minute, and she looks up to her teammates and says, those women at church, and they all yell out, busybodies! And that was the word. That was the word. Now, what was funny to me is here it was the women saying that, but the fact that they would say that and the other women would immediately know what they were talking about. Those women at church, nice people, you know, helpers, servants. What? No, no, it's busybodies. The first thing they thought of, because there's sort of a stereotype, right? That, that in church, especially smaller churches, we like, to, we like to talk. And we like to talk about each other. I went to a small Bible college. My graduating class had 26 hardy souls in it. And my graduating class from high school had 657. All right. So a little tiny college. Everybody knows everybody's business. Someone sneezes, you know about it within about five minutes, you know. And this is long before Facebook and texting existed. It's just we just knew how to talk about each other and and this kind of stuff. And and James says, you know what, that's that's human. And and everybody does that. And it just kills you spiritually. It just kills you. Because if we can't learn to control our tongue, how are we going to control the rest of our bodies? Man, he says the tongue is like a, it's small, like the rudder of a ship is small, but man, that rudder can take the ship all over the place. The, 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 you know, what you use to control the heart, the horse, the bridle there, it's small, but you control this big, powerful animal here. The tongue is small, it's a small part of your body, but it, man, it just controls you. So if you're not controlling your tongue, you're really not spiritually mature. I love this acronym, to think before you speak. T, is it true? Am I just passing on a rumor or is this something that's true? H, is it helpful? 
not to me and my reputation and my desire to know, but to the person I'm talking about or the subject I'm talking about. Is it helpful to talk about this or is it not helpful? I, is it inspiring? Does it lift people up, this thing I'm going to say, or does it tear them down? And is it necessary? Do I absolutely have to spread this? Do I have to say this? Do I have to repeat this? Is it necessary to say this or just because I want to? K, is it kind? Is it kind? Would I want other people saying this kind of thing about me that I'm about to say about somebody else? Think before you speak and you'll go a long way toward learning how to control your tongue. And then he says, I want you to serve selflessly. To serve selflessly. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. You know, the world's eyes, religion's all about what you know. It's the monk in a cave, studying for years, meditating. That's what makes you spiritually mature. But in God's eyes, it, it's what you do with what you know. That's important. 1 Corinthians 8.1, knowledge makes us feel important. It's love that strengthens the church. Man, you can really feel important if you know some of those obscure things about the Bible, but, but it's, it's love for other people. That, that builds up the church, not the things that we know. It's the things that we do. I read an article uh, last week on, uh, it's called, you know what a locavore is? Anyone know what a locavore is? All right, play your, your hip, you know, this kind of thing. It's where you, your food that you eat is all locally grown. So, you know, I want it to go from the farm to the table within 24 hours because you don't have those evil trucks burning evil fossil fuels, you know, lugging it from a farm far away. It's got to be locally grown, preferably by an aging hipster in his backyard. Uh, that's what you want here. And uh, so they have these restaurants that, that advertise that are locavores. You know, all the food is locally grown right here, local ingredients, this kind of stuff. Uh, and they sort of flop uh, because it turns out restricting what you buy to only that kind of source raises your prices. And what they found out is people weren't willing to pay the price premium to have this, you know, locavore kind of style of living. What they wanted was a restaurant that talked about locally grown food while actually buying cheap stuff. So what I want is to feel sort of good about myself that this food I'm eating is all, you know, good, environmentally friendly kind of food while I really want it to be safe and yummy, this kind of stuff. Man, Chipotle, every, you know, you follow Chipotle's woes here. I've been at Chipotle many times and it was always sort of puzzled me uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking it's about yummy Mexican food, right? And although all the propaganda they have out is about how it's this environmentally conscious, friendly stuff, and the chickens are cage-free, and the pigs get back rubs and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, this is, this is wonderful food here that we're going to have. There's only one little problem, though. You know, sometimes our, our back rub farmer sort of forgets to wash his hands, and so you're going to get salmonella every now and then. But small price to pay, isn't it, for a back rub pig? I mean, come on. So what people want is they want, they want this aura. It's called virtue signaling. I go to Chipotle, I'm not just eating fast food. I'm saying I'm a good person. I'm environmentally conscious. I like my pigs to get back rubs before their throats are slit. This is much better way to go here. Uh, that's sort of a typical way the world works. And we religious people can be the same way. We virtue signal. We, we signal, yes, I'm a good person. Look, I attend church services. I go to Bible studies. I, I went to Beth Moore. I went to a conference once for two days at this place. I've done all these things, you know, to study the Bible. That makes me a, a good person. But are we really just signaling our own virtue? 
Because the Bible says true religion isn't about those things. It's about caring for widows and orphans in their distress. This virtue signaling thing is old as man. Isaiah 58, 800 years before Jesus was born. This is what Isaiah is saying to the people, the religious people of his day. He says, no, these people were fasting, going without food for religious purposes. And he said, you know what? Your fasting is useless. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. This is God speaking. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Do that and you're being righteous. Do that and you're being spiritually mature. Don't just signal your virtue. Live it out in your everyday life. Which brings us to Mexico. Why, why do we do this? Why do we go to Mexico to build homes for people? And why do that? Well, there's two reasons. One is because it makes God's heart happy when his people help those who need help. It makes God's heart happy when he sees his people help those who are helpless. Stand up for those who need help and give of themselves for the less fortunate. That makes God's heart happy. And then secondly, it grows you spiritually. When you spend time outside of yourself, doing things not to serve yourself, but to serve other people, in fact, to serve people who could never, ever pay it back, to serve people who can't help you in any way, can never give your career a boost, can never help you out in a pinch, can't do a darn thing for you ever in your life. When you serve those kind of people, it grows you spiritually. So this year in June, we're going to take a trip down to Tijuana and build homes for homeless people. These are people that are living in cardboard boxes or shacks they put together with tarps and other kinds of things who might be living on a dump, literally, somewhere. This is not a luxurious home. It's something that a group of volunteers can build in, what, three days? It's basically a one-car garage. A concrete floor, four walls, and a roof. No electricity, no plumbing. But it's got a door that locks. And it's snug and dry. And it's a huge step up if you've got little children living out in the elements every day. You have a chance not only to make a difference in that family's life, but to make a difference in your own as you learn to serve selflessly. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Christ Church of the Valley which meets every Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. at 13701 West Stockdale Highway in Bakersfield, California. For more information, visit our website at ccvbak.com.